Ephesians chapter 1. First chapter of Ephesians. Just want to read two verses. Verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase possession to the praise of his glory. Of all the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, Ephesians certainly has got to be one of the best. Two of the greatest prayers that Paul ever prayed are in Ephesians. And there are two prayers for the church. And again, like the prayer that we talked about in John 17 this morning, uh, these are prayers that we ought to be very familiar with. And it's always lovely when you read these two prayers of Paul's that you personalize it and put yourself in this position and put your name in there. And that makes all the difference when you read it. The way that Paul laid out this letter uh, makes it a little bit easier to break down into chunks, into bite-sized portions. For example, the first three chapters, uh, which speak particularly of the believer's wealth, and then chapters 4, 5, and half of chapter 6 speaks of the Christian's walk. And then, of course, the last part of chapter 6, which is very well known, speaks of the Christian's warfare. And so, of course, you can bring it into many parts after that. Uh, and so it's a wonderful, wonderful letter. It's one of the best that he ever wrote. Notice here even in verse 13 that we read, those four little simple steps regarding salvation. After you heard and believed and trusted, you were sealed. After you heard, after you believed, after you trusted, then you were sealed. And really, without elaborating on any of that, those are just four simple steps regarding our salvation. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes, and we'll be brief tonight. I want to talk to you about being sealed by God. God sealing our lives. Ephesians 4.20 Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, of course, sealing in those days uh, was commonplace. Uh, goods were sealed. Cattle were sealed. Possessions were sealed. Even people Slaves were sealed, were branded, were marked, were identified in some way or other. You remember that the Roman authorities sealed the tomb of Jesus and they put a Roman seal on it so that it could not be broken. And so seals were something that nor ordinarily were put on important documents. Of course, Sealing wax, I mean, up until relatively recently was used, particularly in important documents. 
Uh, kings used their signet rings to seal in wax. And even today, actually, legal papers is stamped or sealed or marked in somewhere or other, uh, particularly those that are important. And so Paul is saying that after we heard and after we believed and after we trusted, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is God's seal upon the life of the believer. It's God's stamp. It's God's brand. It's God's way of proving who we belong to. It's a mark of ownership. Now, many, many years ago, Elaine that's sitting there at the back, Elaine's my niece, and her dad, uh, my brother-in-law, he used to have a little fruit and veg van, and he would go around selling fruit and veg. And he called it the Fruitful Bar. That was a good name for fruit and veg business, wasn't it? The Fruitful Bar. It ended up it wasn't very fruitful in the end, sure it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, how'd it go? But I remember uh, just a couple of times he asked me would I go up to the, the market in Belfast, the early morning market, uh, to get his goods. And we would, you'd have to go really early, maybe half five, six at the latest. And all the new fresh fruit and veg was brought in for the, for the buyers. Of course, they were the wholesalers and we were the retailers, as it were. And so it was brought in and they were all laid out. And so he would go up and down, walk up and down the line and, and pick what he thought was the best that he could see. And he had a little uh, piece of card with uh, TFB, the fruitful buy. And he would put that in that case. And he put that on that case and maybe one over here. And that meant anybody else walking up there would see that that belonged to somebody. It was marked. It was uh, his. It was whoever TFB was. They didn't have to know that, but they knew that somebody had got there before them and somebody had picked those out. And of course, then afterwards then, you would take those and you'd pay for your goods and off you would go. It was a mark of ownership. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Romans 8, 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So every believer, at the moment of being born again, you receive the spirit of of God. Maybe not in all the fullness that we can receive, but you receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of adoption that marks you as a child of God. And without the Spirit of God, you're none of His. That's what makes the difference. 1 Corinthians 1, 21-22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are His. So from the moment you have been born again, there has been an indelible, invisible seal upon your life. And that is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit 
stumps us. We're marked by him. In Revelation chapter 7, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And that's speaking of a day, of a day, away in the future, when 144,000 Jews from the tribes of Israel will be sealed by God and they'll become flaming evangelists during that time. And in Revelation 14, verse 1, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. Here they are again. Having his father's name written on their foreheads. And so Revelation tells us what their seal was, and their seal was the name of God written on their foreheads, sealed, singled out as his. Interestingly, the chapter before in chapter 13, reading from verse 11, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Uh, this was the false prophet, by the way. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence, which was the Antichrist, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that, even, and so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast could both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understand, understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Satan's not very original, is he? He takes an idea that God has and he copies it. If God's going to see the people, he's going to see them. And here is the unholy trinity working together, sealing men, making men obey, singling those out who has not got the seal and killing them. I haven't time to go into all of that tonight. And so a seal is something that shows 
ownership. It's a mark of ownership. In Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus addresses the, the churches, seven churches, but in verse 7 of Revelation 3, he's addressing the, the church at Philadelphia, the faithful church this is. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word, have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him, on him my new name. He is ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's a triple seal for those who have been faithful in times of great persecution and trouble. It's a mark of ownership. A few years ago, I bought a little pen. It was an ultraviolet ink in it. And I wrote my name, my address, my phone number, and some of my toys, <laughs> computers, etc., etc. And of course, you can't see it unless and until you shine an ultraviolet light on it. And then it shows up very clearly. The police would advocate that you do that on your goods. So if it is stolen, uh, there's a chance that if they shine a light on it, they'll be able to see who it belongs to. And so we are marked. We're seated. We're branded. Can I tell you a funny little thing that happened to Sally and me? It was uh, a couple of years ago we... Went into Belfast, went into a furniture shop, and we decided that we needed a new settee. And so we saw a, a, one that we really liked, and it was, it was a leather settee. And so we made some inquiries about price and so forth, and we had a good look around it and sit, sat on it and tested it out. But we noticed there was little kind of slubs and little flecks on it here and there, and we made inquiry about that. And the man says, well, that's just natural because it's, it's real cowhide and cows scratch themselves against barbed wire and all the rest of it and get nicks and cuts and because it's natural it just shows up and uh, so we said okay that was perfectly understandable explanation so we ordered it and six weeks later it came and the, the guys that brought it in from the van said would you like us to, uh, to unwrap it for you and take away the wrappings we says thank you very much that would be lovely so they started to unwrap it, and they had it almost completely unwrapped, and lo and behold, we noticed that it was branded. Some old cow in Argentina had the literal brand. You could see it where it had been with a hot iron. I mean, you couldn't miss the thing, like, you know. 
There was no way we were taking that. That had to go back, right back onto the van. We had to wait another few weeks to get another one. Uh, we weren't having that. It was too visible. It was too easily seen. <laughs> but the brand that's on us, the seal that's on us, it's a mark that's invisible. It's the mark of the Holy Spirit in our lives to show ownership. It's a mark of authenticity. The best paintings are signed by the artist. If you ever watched the, uh, you know, those shows, the uh, antique shows, and somebody comes on with a lovely old painting, and they wax lyrical about this painting, and the expert's looking at it, and they'll say, it's a pity that the artist didn't sign that. Had the artist have signed that, it would have been worth much, much more. But because there's no signature, it's worth much, much less. All the good paintings are signed by the artist. The best china and pottery is marked by its makers. The experts, the first thing they do is they turn it upside down, that pot, and they look to see where it was made and who made it. Clarice Cliff, see, I watch those programs, and all the rest of it. The best gold and silver is hallmarked, isn't it? If you've got a gold ring or a silver ring, if it's a proper one, it will be hallmarked. I'm going to bring money out of my wallet and the moths are flying out of it. <laughs> There's a beautiful new 10-pound note and it's signed by the chief executive of Dansky Bank, whoever he may be. It looks like somebody called Jerry... Mullen. Anybody know him? No? And more importantly, if you hold it up, it's got a silver thread all the way through it, woven into the paper. And if you look even more closely, it's got a watermark, and some of them has got holograms. So it's well-branded, isn't it? It's well-sealed. It's well-marked. That's to show you that is authentic. Now, I know that the fraud guys are very good at uh, bluffing their way, aren't they? Uh, but you'd need to be very, very good to do that. I notice that even the silver is even marked. Even that silver thread is actually marked. That's how good that is. That's a real one. I think I'll keep that one for another 10 years. But anyway, it's a mark of Authenticity. Let's us know that it's genuine. God's seal is not found in fakes. It's only found in those who truly belongs to him. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Apostle Paul, he loved the Corinthian church. Church that he founded. Church that he taught. But then, being the apostle he was and the missionary evangelist he was, he would have to move away and raise up another church somewhere else. But then there was trouble in this church when he was gone, and so he, he wanted to go back again. But he wrote to them. The reason why he wrote to them, apart from putting them straight about things that were wrong in the church, 
is because when he wanted to go back, those who opposed him in the Corinthian church were asking him for letters of recommendation. This was something that was done in those days that those in the itinerant ministry, uh, often if they would go somewhere, they would need a, a letter from, from some church leader to show their bona fides, to say they were genuine. That wouldn't be a bad thing today, actually. Normally, if somebody comes through here, normally I would find out who they are, a little bit about them, where they'd been before. Some, uh, sometimes I've rung up other pastors and said, did you have so-and-so? Were they okay? Yeah, they're okay, fine, that's all right. It's good to check up and, and make sure they're genuine because there's all kinds of people floating about the body of Christ today. You need to watch. But anyway, the Apostle Paul, they said, where are your letters of commendation or recommendation? And here's what he said. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11, Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. He said, listen, you're believers, you're sealed, God has written in your heart, but it was through my ministry. I led you to Christ. You're written in my heart, and God has written in your heart. So you're my letter. You're my epistle. If I need any commendation or any recommendation, it's you. That's what he's saying to the Corinthian church. Because God has already written on your heart that you're his, and you're written in my heart that I led you to him. And so this is a mark of authenticity to show that it's genuine. Now, even though the mark is invisible, yet isn't it true, very often we meet a stranger and sometimes, as soon as you meet them, you just sense something about them. There's something of the Spirit of God about them. And you get into conversation, and you find out they are a believer. They are a true believer in Christ. And if you go to a foreign country, and you don't know the language, and you walk in somewhere to a, a, a church or a fellowship, and you don't know anybody, you don't know their language, but you feel in the Spirit that you're one with them. You feel the Spirit of God in their lives as they ought to feel from us, the Spirit of God. Because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So it's a mark of authenticity. It's a mark of value. It's a mark of value. Have you any idea what the most expensive painting is that was sold? What? Too much. $268 million. How would you like to pay that for a painting? 
Paul Shazan, if that's how you pronounce that. The card players. It's a famous painting. Do you know who bought that? You could guess. Arabs. <laughs> the Qatari royal family bought that. $268 million. Now, if that's what that cost because it was up for sale, how much would the Mona Lisa cost that's not up for sale? Can't even begin to imagine. You could maybe triple that or quadruple that. It's kept behind a bulletproof glass case and the humidity and the air inside it is strictly controlled. I mean, it's 500 plus years old. If that went up for sale, somebody would spend untold millions just to buy that. Is it worth it? Well, it's worth it to the person who buys it. The worth of it is dictated by the person who wants to own it. I mean, the paint, even the artistry, even the beauty of it, all of that there, it's still not worth that amount of money except to the person who puts the value on it. And the person who puts the value on it is the person who wants it the most and prepared to pay that amount and has that amount to buy it. If I had that amount, I wouldn't buy it anyway because I wouldn't feel it's that worth to me, but to somebody else it would be. Now why am I saying that? is because God purchased you and me with the blood of His own Son. He bought us, He purchased us with the blood of His own Son. He thought that you were worth the blood of His own Son. And that was the price that He was prepared to pay for you. Not that we are in of ourselves valuable, but to God we are. He's the one who put the value on us, not ourselves. He did. And it's the greatest value. It's the greatest value in the most valuable thing in the whole universe. And he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's invaluable, isn't it? That's how God sees us. I don't know why he sees us that way. We certainly don't deserve to be seen that way, but he does. And that's the wonder of his grace and his love and his mercy towards us. All the oil in Arabia and all the diamonds in Africa and all the gold in Fort Knox would not buy one single soul. The whole world couldn't buy a soul. And God himself thought that the blood of his son was worth the purchase of you and me. Isaiah 53 and 11, he saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. I'm sure when the Guattari royal family bought that painting and hung it up in their palace, 
I'm sure they all stood and looked at it and wondered at it and thought, we have got it. Of course, 268 million to them is probably pocket money. It's a lot to us, but to them it's probably not a lot. But they knew that nobody else would pay that amount for it, and they did. And it's theirs because they wanted it badly. And God looks at us. Not only could nobody want to pay that, nobody could pay the price for us that God paid. And that was the death of his own son. It's a mark of guarantee. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, or your authorized version says, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The word earnest is an old word, even though it's still used in some circumstances today. It means a down payment. Simply what it means, a down payment. Earnest money. You go to buy a house, you may be asked to put down some earnest money. Show your intention. Put your money where your mouth is, we would say. It's a down payment. It's a promise of greater things to come. Interestingly, the same word earnest, arabon, means engagement ring. In the Greek today, it's arabona, which means engagement ring. If a man gives his sweetheart an engagement ring, what is he doing? He's promising a greater, more lasting, more loving, more intimate relationship in the days to come. That's his promise, isn't it? That's his promise. He gives that ring to show his intention that this is more to come. Young couple that's going to get married here on Tuesday. She's got her engagement ring. The more to come is about to happen, isn't it? From Tuesday onwards. And so the Holy Spirit, God sent his Holy Spirit to us as a promised, as a guarantee, as earnest, as it were, of more to come. Of a greater, longer lasting eternal relationship is more to come. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. It's God's way of saying, I guarantee you. I mark you and seal you with my Holy Spirit. Now, we are the bride of Christ. And we're waiting for the bridegroom to return. And right now we are betrothed to him. And one day he will come to claim his bride for himself. There's more to come. And until then, the betrothal sign is the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We are betrothed to the bridegroom. And he's coming for us. You still with me? Holy Spirit is his pledge. Holy Spirit gives us light. He gives us liberty, he gives us life, he gives us power. 
But that's just the down payment. There is more to come. First Peter chapter 1. We'll be through in a moment. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There is so much more that is to come according to the word of God. I haven't fully got it yet, but it's coming. And just over the page a little bit in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's another little hint, a little clue that there's more to come. We are the children of God right now, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We're always going to be the children of God, but what we shall be, there's so much more to come. Glory to God. And we're sealed until that day. Paul says to the church in Rome, chapter 8, For we know that the whole creation groans, labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This body that oftentimes is infirm, is weak, grows tired, gets bent over, gets aches and pains, all of that stuff that's groaning and creaking. Did you ever get out of bed and you're groaning and creaking? Got to put your shoes on, you can hardly bend down sometimes. Well, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. There's more to come. And the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, we're seated with the Holy Spirit, is God's promise, it's God's guarantee that there's more to come. And we won't always have this growing old, weakening, infirm body. That we shall be full of life and full of vitality and have a new body like unto His glorious body, the Bible says. Amen? There's more to come. Holy Spirit is the down payment. The promise is more to come. And finally, we'll just close with this. In light of what we talked about this morning, about our inheritance and what we talked about tonight, all these riches, all these blessings, all of these benefits are given to us by God's grace and they are for His glory. In verse 6, God the Father has chosen us adopted us 
They accepted us to the praise of his glory. Verse 12. God the Son has redeemed us, forgiven us, given us inheritance that we should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13 and 14. And God the Holy Spirit has sealed us, promised us unto the praise of his glory. All that God has promised us, both now and in the future, and throughout all eternity, is to the praise of his glory. That he might get the glory. That he might be praised for what he has done for us. And that's why it's good in our own individual private lives that we praise him, that we thank him, that we give him the glory for all that he has done, for all that he's doing, and for all that he will yet do in the future. And thank God we have the promise and the guarantee because we have the Holy Spirit sealing us until the day of redemption. Look up for your redemption draws nigh. Yes, we're redeemed now. Yes, we're being redeemed every day. And yes, there's that redemption to come, the redemption of our body, which is part of our adoption, by the way. So there's good things in store for the believer, isn't there? I mean, how can we lose when we've got all of that to look forward to in the future? Amen? Let's pray.